find happiness, whatever that looks like for you. If you're in a toxic situation, find happiness. <laughs> Welcome to Latte Podcast, where we break the stigmas that you have to have your shit together by 30. Today, we sit down with Jordana Wright, and even though she was super successful as a young professor at the University of Toronto at the mere age of 22, she ditched the toxic workplaces in academia and real estate development and found her own purpose-driven work, helping others build thriving church communities at 32. I hope this inspires, uplifts, and gives you some insights if you're feeling stuck, trapped, and almost depressed and not being able to be 100% yourself. I want you to know that there is so much more out there and you can succeed at any pivot that you make in your career. That time is precious and it's not worth it to spend most of your time in toxic environments and that you deserve happiness. You can check out the show notes for time marks for any topics that speaks to you and also check out more information on Jordana. If you're currently struggling with these toxic workplace vibes and feeling stuck in them, I've been there and I totally know what you're going through. And I have a video on it to talk about why I left my lucrative job at Deloitte. And this is really why I also have a Facebook group for you to join to work through how you can find happiness for yourself and lose the grips of the toxic workplace to find a fulfilling and passionate career for yourself. So join our Facebook group at IamImpactful.com and also link it in the show notes. I actually didn't know what your age was, but I was like, I feel like you're over 30 and I feel like you have so much life advice to give. So I wanted to bring you on to my podcast talking about breaking the stigmas of having all your shit together by 30. And um, we can have an open discussion and talk about like, you know, how is life in your 30s? Is it the best are you like living your best life? And like, how does it look like for you? <laughs> well, um, thank you for having me on. Yeah. <laughs> As your very first guest. Like, what's your age, if you can reveal? And also, like, what do you do for a living? What's your whole um, business about? Well, my name is Jordana. And I just thought it was so funny that you didn't know my age. Because could you imagine if you invited me on? And then I was like, hey, I'm 20. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll be like be um, so awkward. Yeah. You, you look much older. <laughs> no, it wasn't going about the looks. I was just like, I feel like she yeah. has so much more like years of work experience that there's no way Thank that she you. can be younger. <laughs> People often say that to me. They're like, you've lived so many lives because I guess we could get into it, but I've like done a ton of things. But uh, yeah, so my name is Jordana and. The, the main thing I do is I help um, churches and purpose-driven organizations turn buildings under stress into vibrant community hubs. So I build out a lot of, build out and manage a lot of community assets across Canada. And so it's kind of like a creative form of like strategic asset management, but is more fun than I'm making it seem. So <laughs> that's sort of like my my main thing. And then I also do um, a lot of one-to-one -one coaching to help um, people who lead these spaces, so faith leaders and others who lead major nonprofits who have large property holdings. I do one-to-one -one coaching to help them figure out like what to do if they'd like to do this sort of thing on their own. I also have an e-commerce brand that sells a lot of resources that help people do this sort of thing on their own. 
Um, I have a membership club that again helps people do this sort of thing on their own. But as a group, I host a live show for folks in my niche and we address kind of like the the topics of the day. And oh, something else that I just started recently during COVID, which sounds super, super random, but it's been really good, is I also um, have like one of the largest kind of activity groups within my niche as well. And it's basically just like a walking club that started because everyone was like just not feeling the greatest during COVID, not as connected. So we're all on this app. Like when it launched, I think we had like 400 participants across Canada and we're all on this app like competing for like most steps and just doing fun challenges together and so in addition to all the stuff that I do I also like randomly just host a walking club but like (laughs) to me I feel like everything ties together because like the main thing I focus on is just I have a particular community who I serve and as someone who is entrepreneurial I just focus on doing things that are timely and relevant and very responsive to changing needs in that community. I focus on doing fun things that like will surprise and delight them. And that's kind of can be a a number of different things. So it looks like I'm just like doing 10 different things, but it's really just serving that community and helping them create vibrant communities, both like as hubs in their physical spaces and then also increasingly online with COVID and everything that's happening right now. Yeah, I think in a nutshell. Yeah, like it does sound like definitely sounds like a lot. And I don't know how you manage it on a day to day. But like, um, I think like, yeah, like, just the fact that you're building a social community, especially since everybody's so separated because of COVID is a huge need. And um, I love to know, like, you know, I knew you before COVID. So like, I knew like what you were doing, yeah. but um, like, would you like to share more about like your past life and like how, you know, you built all this to get to this point so that you could like, and how was like, when, like, what was your journey of building it to like this point right now? Mm-hmm. Well, I have, as I said, like lived many, many lives <laughs> and did many <laughs> things, but I actually started out um, teaching at the University of Toronto, where I was working on my doctorate, one of my like side lives, my side hustles. <laughs> People are like, oh, you're doing a doctorate on the side? That's interesting. But yeah, but I knew that wasn't what I was going to do forever because I'm someone who's very, I have a like bias towards action and I felt like I couldn't be this professor who was pontificating about things like I felt like I had to do the thing I was studying I had to do the thing I was teaching and um not to like knock people who do focus primarily on teaching but I just knew that wasn't for me I was someone who was very entrepreneurial and I don't know if you've heard a ton about like what it is like day to day being an academic but like you have to like publish a ton and the publishing cycles are so weird like you could work on a project and then based on publishing cycles like it won't come out until like two or three years later but I like letting the market decide like just getting things out there into the world so like I was just putting out like my work my findings Mm -hmm. connecting with people building things in a way that isn't quite aligned with how academia operates so like I was doing great I was doing okay but I always felt like there was like this this mismatch like I felt like I could do that and I could do well at that game I could win that game but I felt like I was playing the wrong game like that's not what I wanted to do long term and when you're someone who's a young person who's like super good at school and I don't know if you've like encountered 
this, like mm-hmm. in your younger years, maybe like high school or like early years of like working on your BA and stuff like that, when people like really celebrate you as being like this smart person, you yeah. feel like you just have to keep going and just taking things as far as you can in terms of, okay, then I'll do my MA, then I'll do my PhD. And then yeah. I'm like in this position where I like fast track through school. So I'm like this professor character and I'm like teaching students who are the same age as me, some of them mm-hmm. older than me. And I'm like, okay, I got to the top of where people say I'm supposed to go. And I'm, I got there very, very quickly. Yeah. And I like, this is supposed to be it. And I didn't feel satisfied. I didn't mm-hmm. like it. I didn't, it didn't do anything for me. I didn't feel that sense of fulfillment that a lot of people feel when they reach that, that peak. So mm-hmm. at that point, I think I was like, um, so when I started teaching at U of T, I think I was like 22. Yeah. So yeah. So imagine having a 22 year old professor, like it's a weird dynamic and I fast track through school. So I, I usually don't even talk about this part of my life cause I don't want, I don't know, but I guess people, I don't know, <laughs> this might help people. So that's the only reason why I'm bringing it up. Like, yeah, so but this is like my, my first life slash career so I was like 22 years old and I was already teaching people and mm-hmm. I was already a professor and I just felt like this weird dynamic I didn't like it I didn't it wasn't what I imagined it to be so mm-hmm. then I started to work outside of the university and I started to like explore a lot of the issues that I was studying which a lot of them were around um uh kind of neighborhood change and a lot of organizations that are involved in large um, large projects to build out like public infrastructure and public assets and to address a lot of challenges that communities face. So I was studying organizations like the Toronto District School Board and large churches and like transit authorities. So these really large public organizations who were kind of like partnering with private organizations to build out these large projects that communities needed. Mm -hmm. And I did a lot of work on churches. I never thought it would come full circle and that would be where I was working now, but this kind of just shows you how things can come full circle. So I was doing a lot of that research and it was going well. And then, so after I decided that like academia, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna continue with this. Like that is, I have to make this decision. And a lot of people thought I was like, crazy they're like this is what everyone wants and works yeah. towards some people don't even get accepted into a PhD program let alone be able to like teach all these courses early in their career let alone be able to publish in top academic journals in their field let alone like people do not get to do this and you're getting to do it you should be so grateful but I didn't mm. feel grateful I didn't feel lucky I felt like I was it was like this out of body experience for me. And I was 22. I didn't know what was what. And it was like, this is not it. So then after I started to build out my own thing, I started working with a lot of actual organizations that were doing the work of uh, these community change projects. So a lot of those were like community planning organizations. And I started to work for like um, developers, like actual developers, like uh, condo developers, city builders. And a lot of the work that I was doing for those organizations was around like community engagement and around figuring out like what is best for local communities, helping communities leverage their assets to build the best kind of neighborhood possible. Mm. And I started to do a bit of work on the side with 
churches who were looking to be engaged in these um, projects. And a lot of them were looking to just sell their property outright and just, we don't know what to do. We're in a financial crisis. Like, let's just, okay, get this off our hands. Mm -hmm. And I realized in a lot of those situations, that's actually not what the church should have been doing. Mm -hmm. And I kind of felt like in these situations, like I was sitting on the wrong side of the table. Like I should have been representing the churches. They need help. Like I have a bit of a background in some of this and I have a passion for working with organizations that are purpose-driven and doing something that's sort of like bigger than myself. Mm -hmm. So I started to pivot towards working like for the churches essentially and helping them with these projects. And again, another point in time where people thought I was just like insane. They were like, you are working for these, all these development organizations that are paying you like an obscene amount of money. Like this is where people die to go like this is like you are sitting at the table with all these people that people would die to work with like you're not only did you get to live that first life and get to the point of like teaching and doing that thing that people die to do now you're at the pinnacle of like a second life and a second career like what are you doing and people would tell me like you don't know what you're doing churches don't have any money they won't pay you like the private sector is the way to go you don't know how this works because I was also still in my 20s like I was mm. still a young a very young person I guess what's considered young but like so people were telling me basically I had no idea what I was doing but like I just felt I felt like there was something they weren't seeing and something they weren't getting and I just felt like if these private sector organizations were paying me so much to do this work for them. There is enough value in that work that I could do it independently on my own in a sustainable way. And people say churches or public sector organizations have no money. They won't pay you. Yeah, That's actually not true. <laughs> and so I was able to start like <laughs> working independently. And that's when I really doubled down and, um, started Activate Space, which actually developed over time, over like like a decade pretty much, but it was only really like called Activate Space and consolidated as that in the last like, I'd say three to five years when was when I was like, okay, this is like a thing. I can't just like operate as Jordana who does this thing. Like I need to start being able to like bring together a team around doing that work and like start inviting people into the process. So it's not just me. So um that's when I started Activate Space and initially I didn't just do that work of creating or helping people with assets under stress like create these vibrant spaces for churches I also did like retail spaces and all sorts of other spaces but I was like no in the last three years or so I decided to just really niche down and I was like I only do churches period mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. that is it I don't yeah. want to do storefronts. I don't want to do industrial spaces. I don't want to do, because there's a unique sense of community around churches that I just really like. And I feel like I'm uniquely positioned to do the work. So now I just fully do that work with churches and that's slowly mm -hmm. built out to all of these, the membership clubs and the coaching and the e-commerce store and the activity group. So that's all grown out of that initial niching down and saying, I only do this period. And that was all in my 20s when I was kind of getting that together and yeah. now in my 30s I'm 32 now I feel like is when I've really hit my stride mm. so um you know those times like when you made your pivot between your first and second like your PhD and then the second job and then like taking it into like just being your doing it yourself was there 
any kind of like fear in you when you're making that change? And like, did you even have a plan? Like when you were making the change or were you just like, I have a strong belief, so I'm going to go for this. I feel like along the way, I was always really listening deeply to my potential audience. So I had a sense that there was a need for this. So for example, when I was in academia and I just slowly started to do these projects that were like implementing the stuff that I was learning and teaching and researching and writing about, like being out in the world doing this work, I was able to listen very deeply to people. And I knew there was a need to do that out into the world. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it would be a valuable skill to development companies. I didn't know it was a valuable skill at all. Like roughly defined a lot of what I do is considered like community building. And I didn't even know that, like, I didn't, I didn't know that was a thing. Mm -hmm. I didn't know like eventually COVID would come along and make community building, especially online a thing. I didn't know that churches would hit this, this kind of pressure point where they, a lot of them are, they have these massive buildings that are just, it's not feasible for them to maintain them in the way that they've been maintaining them. So they have to come up with new strategies of partnering with all sorts of organizations. I didn't know that would hit that pinnacle right now. So I was always just pursuing things that I was interested in, but also Mm -hmm. listening very deeply to figure out what the need was but there was no way I could predict that everything I'd been working on would kind of come together in this way at this time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so I had a bit of a plan, but also a lot of things thrown in that I could not predict. Yeah. So like, say for example, like somebody you're like, you're trying to like, you know, teach somebody like how to be similar to you um, and like mm-hmm. have the like, kind of the journey that, that you have, would you say that, how how important do you think is like having kind of like a vision and like an end goal versus, you know, just like trying to listen in and hone into like having really good marketable skills and also listening to trends at the same time? Mm-hmm. I think having a vision is so, so important, but a vision and ideas are a dime a dozen. It Implementation is everything. Like implementation is it's, it's the whole thing. So you have to have your vision, but you have to be able to test the market, make sure there's a need for what that vision is, make sure it's the right time for what that vision is. Like you have to actually do the work of testing the market and do the work of building a community around that thing and around that vision. So you have to kind of have a, a balance in that regard. But if you have no vision and you're just kind of like doing a bunch of random stuff, like it doesn't come together in a consolidated way that people can buy into they're just seeing you do like a million and one random things but because people know all the things I'm doing under this umbrella of creating like vibrant community assets in like neighborhoods across Canada people are able to buy into all the different projects I do because they know that is the goal like I'm doing a walking club but like what is this walking club about it's about bringing people together and creating these vibrant communities even if it's not in Um, physical spaces and then I'm working with churches how does that relate to a walking club oh okay it's about creating these vibrant community assets so people can kind of buy into my vision vision because it's clear but people also like to see momentum and people Mm -hmm. like to also see that you're listening very deeply and you understand the market so you're not just like going out there doing a bunch of random things as well Mm -hmm. okay yeah 
I, I think I can see like, you definitely need to have like some sort of vision, but if you don't have any action and you're not testing the market, you'll never go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so like now that you hit your thirties and you're like starting to hit your stride, like you have your community, you're like the leader in your community. What do you think like, did you ever like have an expectation or timeline of like, oh, I have to have these certain things by 30. And like, if I don't get these things by 30, like my life is not successful or it's not happy or anything like that. So one of the interesting things that I thought about, like when you mentioned the, like the number 30 is like, okay, so when you're 30, technically you've only been like an adult for about 10 years. Like you've been out of your teens for like Mm -hmm. 10 years. Mm -hmm. basically like you're past 19 so for 10 years okay so you've been an adult for 10 years in this day and age people live to like well in their 80s sometimes up to 90s let's just say we're going to live till 90 so you have from 30 to 90 what is that like 60 60. years so you've only lived as an adult for 10 years by the time you're 30 you have 60 you have six more times to live that lifetime when you Mm -hmm. hit 30 so you're Mm going to do that thing that you did from 20 to 30 that adult life you're going to do that thing six more times so when people feel at 30 they're done they've only run one seventh of the race and they feel like they're done could you imagine someone only running one seventh of a race and just throwing in the towel like how can you be done or feel like you need to have everything in order when you've only run one seventh of your race you've only written one seventh of a chapter of your book you've only like to me that I don't know it's like you you you're just getting started at 30 and like People say like our brains don't even fully develop until 25. So by the time you're 30, you've only been living on this earth with a fully developed brain for like five years and you feel like you're already done. <laughs> like there's so much life ahead of you. You've only had a developed brain for five years. Yeah. So like for me, that's like so like I just feel like you have so much ahead of you. Again, you're going to do that that whole adult lifetime that you lived from up until 30. You will do that six more times. You can live six more lives. You can have six more dreams. You can do six more things. You can be six more people. Like it's just, I I guess that's just like my outlook on it. So Mm. to me, 30 isn't this magic number at all. And I also feel like when I'm doing the work I do and when I'm just like putting together these really exciting projects with all these stakeholders, no one in the room kind of like stops and asks me and says like wait a minute are you 29 or are you 30 like that number means nothing in the real world like no one like asks or would even really care so I think sometimes um people do have these experiences and I don't want to undermine it that people actually do have these experiences where they grow up and they feel like 30 is a magic number but for Mm -hmm. me I mean I haven't had that experience in particular but I think that would be my insight on why I, I don't really see 30 as this stopping point or you need to have everything by this because you've only run one seventh of your race. How do you throw in the towel then? So, yeah. yeah, I can see your, I can see your professorness coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Logical thinking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Seriously though. <laughs> no, it does make sense. I was like, talking to my, some of my friends about that too. I'm like, Technically, before 18 doesn't count because you don't know what you're doing at all. Yeah, exactly. 
So you're 10 so, years in and yeah. you're throwing in the towel and you feel like you should be done. Like what? You only have a developed brain for five years and you feel like you're like, huh? <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although I will play devil's advocate a little bit and say like some people say like beauty and all that kind of stuff peaks at like 25 to 30. And then after that, your body starts deteriorating and everything. So people are a little bit worried about that. So it's like, oh, like, you know, I have to enjoy my life, be a digital nomad, you know, <laughs> travel yeah. the world experience all these things so like do you think that's ever like a consideration of like you know your physical limitations of like Um, not being able to experience certain things if you're too old for it well there are people who hit that peak and are limited physical physically at the age of five because they have physical disabilities is their life over at five years old no Mm -hmm. like that doesn't end your life there are infants that are born with physical limitations is their life over as a newborn? No. Like, and I also feel like if you're talking about like a more like aesthetic kind of physique, I, I don't know how to put this. I'm not trying to be controversial, but I feel like you and I age very well on the whole. <laughs> Some people perhaps don't, but I feel like if you're, I don't even know. <laughs> You might know what I'm saying, but yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, people like to say we don't crack and we don't raisin. So yeah, we don't raisin until we hit fifty, and then it's like, what happened? Yeah, and we don't crack. So I will just that will be for the viewers to kind of read into. But if you're worried about that, you don't raisin, we don't crack, we're good. Just need really good skin cream, you know? Yeah, we'll Korean be skincare. Fine. Yeah, honestly. So I don't think. Uh, I don't know. Like, I've never been that concerned. And also, like, a lot of the people who I see in my life, in my family, like, they look great. And they're, like, in their 60s. So I'm just like, I will be fine. I'll be okay. So, yeah. (laughs) What's one thing you would tell your younger self to live life to the fullest? Life is so short is the exact reason to, like, take toxic things out of your life find the thing you actually like to do as a career take toxic workplaces out of your life like take anything that doesn't serve you out of your life because you do you we don't you you never know tomorrow is not promise so Mm -hmm. I am a YOLO kind of person but I'm a responsible YOLO kind of person because you do only live once so yeah I don't know (laughs) yeah like YOLO but with measured risk in it (laughs) exactly I remember last time when we were talking like I was uh, talking about like oh start with your why or whatever do you think that has been like a pinnacle and like a huge focus for you like have you always been like having that in the back of your mind because there's this whole like the whole book on start with why and like people are like oh it's Mm -hmm. super useful you should totally do it like is it something that you cognizantly think about or it's just like so in you already that you don't need to think about it anymore Yeah, I think at this point, it's so in me that I didn't, that I don't need to think about it. But I think it is something that I have thought about a lot, especially in the past. Um, Like, for example, when I was talking about my work in academia, like there was no reason why I was doing that beyond the fact that I could and I was really good at it. Mm -hmm. And that is not really a why that will sustain you. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of my work in the private sector, it was fulfilling and... this is going to sound so cheesy and a lot of people will tell you that money won't make you happy and 
I actually found out that that was true. I was like, that's not true. <laughs> Give me more money. That's not true. But that is actually like, sadly, that is actually kind of true. Like I mm-hmm. always felt like there is a deeper, I didn't articulate it as a why at that time, but like that work that I was doing, like I was doing pretty well. I was where I was, but like, like I just it didn't feel like this was the thing that I was supposed to be known for this was the thing that I was supposed to invest my life and my time in like it just didn't feel that way and then also the fact that I was working for someone else Mm. it didn't allow for the flexibility and the lifestyle that I wanted either and that was also part of my why beyond just what I was doing for work I wanted a certain lifestyle I wanted to be within a community in a certain kind of way I wanted to do work that was purpose-driven that people uh, like appreciated in a certain way and valued in a certain way and I think that was all encompassed in my why so it wasn't just like a work-related why it was also like a lifestyle why as things really evolved and um yeah so money was a large part of my why at a certain point but like now it's like evolved into something that's a little bit more holistic so yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's evolved but now I, I mean figure it out, so. yeah I, I I I personally also feel like you do need a certain amount of time in your life to like go like this money stuff is cool I can spend on this and I can spend on that but then after a while you're like it, it really doesn't serve a greater purpose than just buying stuff yeah. <laughs> and people yeah and people will say like and in terms of like money not making you happy like money does make you pretty happy but money only solves money problems once Mm -hmm. your money problems are solved and like as an individual that's pretty basic once you hit a certain financial level anything after that doesn't really make you any more happy I think there's like studies that show that like once you make I don't know if it's like $100,000 or 75k then after that nothing really adds to your happiness because at least you're like financially sustained and you're not like running around with a like a chicken with your head cut off trying to like just hold it together And I think I I, like that is true. I never thought that was true, but that is true. I had to find something that was more about lifestyle, living a more holistic, balanced life, being in community, serving community in a way that was valuable beyond the bottom line. And yeah, so my why has definitely evolved. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Glad we're all on the same page. Um, the (laughs) The other thing I was also thinking about was like, was there somebody who, you know, taught those kind of values to you of like, you know, focusing really on um, like, you know, what you want to do for the rest of your life and valuing your time instead of like the money aspect of things? Or was it like just like it happened over time and um, there wasn't like any particular person who taught you these values? It just kind of like happened organically. Mm-hmm. Well, I think and I will say this, it might sound a little bit like doom and gloom pessimistic, but I will say this because I think it's important for some people to hear, perhaps especially young women who are navigating their just like professional career and going through professional development and figuring out like where they fit in the landscape of whatever they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people will say that they've had this incredible mentor that has ushered them through the front door that has invited them to sit at the table, that has taught them all these sorts of things. Oftentimes, um, if you are a certain type of person, you might not have access to that kind of mentorship. And a lot of the people that I speak with don't have access to that sort of mentorship, never had it, and really had to find their own way through this 
their respective field or they've had to find mentors online who match like the work they're doing and who can help them through that. But mm -hmm. there are certain people that in their professional lives really benefit from being taken under the wing of an, another person, often a person that is very similar to them demographically and other sorts of ways, if you can kind of like get what I'm saying without me saying it. So yeah. a lot of the leadership and companies, a lot of the upper kind of management CEOs, VPs, when they mentor people, they tend to mentor people who um, match them in certain ways. So mm -hmm. I think it's important for me to say, even though it sounds doom and gloom, that I didn't have mentorship in this process. And mm -hmm. for a lot of people, you will not have mentorship in this process. And you might even see people around you who have a ton of mentorship and you feel like maybe they don't deserve it or why are they getting the support and I'm not getting the support? Why are they being ushered through the front door? Why are they being invited here and there? Why are they always being selected for certain opportunities to develop in certain ways? Why is it that I'm not getting the same support or the same kind of like just time given to support mm -hmm. me through this process? And yeah. There's all sorts of discussions that we could have about this, but I think for me, the main point is you have to acknowledge that sometimes that is something that won't you won't have access to, and you have to find your own mentors, whether that be online, whether that be kind of like mentors in your head, people that you've never met, but you've mm -hmm. just seen navigating the world in a way that you would like to navigate the world and that are able to teach you things. And I think that is what I had to do. And I think that is what, a lot of people unfortunately have to do. And I don't know if you've ever seen that or experienced that. You're like, yeah. hey, no one's ushering me through the front door. No one's like inviting me to the table. I have to just build my own table. I have to just find my mentors online. Yeah. 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 I, no, I totally know what you mean. Like I, I've always wanted to like have somebody to like show me the way too. But then as I keep doing it, I'm like, why am I not getting any help? And then I realized, you know what? You just have to be your own help and like find it yourself. Um, but there's yeah. definitely a lot of resources online and like lots of people you can learn so from. Many. Mm -hmm. Although some of them are fake gurus, but like some of them are real. Yeah, <laughs> there's a ton of fake gurus. That could be like a whole nother episode. <laughs> uh, talking about like, you know, mentors and like the people you find online, who do you think has been like the biggest mentors for you? Um, it could be even just like, it doesn't even have to be about business. It could just be like about seeing life in general or like, um, like that, that kind of self-improvement or it could be business. Like who are your biggest mentors? Hmm. Well, I think for me, and I don't want to say this because it's going to sound so, so cheesy, but one of the people who really just like allowed almost like a light bulb to go off in my mind and really validated the path that I was taking and really spoke to me like when I was like early, early on in making this pivot and starting my own business and starting my own thing. And people are like, what, what are you doing? And kind of moving away from um, working in academia as well and just realizing like this was not there's something I can't put my finger on it but there's something that just doesn't align with what I'm trying to do like that person that really allowed me to like bring all those thoughts together in my head and really understand what was happening was mm -hmm. Gary Vaynerchuk that was probably the first <laughs> person that I saw talking about the fact that like <laughs> 
<laughs> like school isn't everything and school mm -hmm. kind of creates this false environment. And just because you go to school, you're not going to be guaranteed like a happy life or a job. Like these are all things that I was thinking about. Yeah. And just even in this process of starting my business, the things that I was doing that people did not get, the fact that I could see this niche and this need, and I was just working away at it, chipping away and had so much patience, little patience, little bit by little bit, and it was working. And yet there were all these voices around me that did, they just like, did not get it but I could just see it and I knew something big was about to happen for me and mm -hmm. even people who I loved and who loved me like I felt like they're even with their best intentions they weren't quite able to see what I was able to see and the only person who at the time I heard speaking about this sort of thing was him and I will mm -hmm. say a lot of my views differ from him. I'm very different from him. My way of being is very different from him. But that was probably the first voice that allowed that light bulb to go off in my head that I was like, whoa, I was right. I am right. I need to just keep going. Like, just keep going. Like, just keep playing. Just keep trying another day. I'm finding so much joy in this. I will stay up till like 3 a.m. doing this. Like, it's just like just keep going and I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel I'm still in a position where I'm like oh I don't know exactly where this is going to go especially with COVID I'm still trying to figure out like what this is going to be going forward but like I have like I have truly built a life for myself that I could never imagine a life for myself that I could never create just by going to school and staying on the comfortable path like that was probably the first voice and the first time that I was like I am on to something. I don't care if no one else understands it or sees it. They don't get it now. They'll get it eventually. And they will circle back to me eventually. And that's what it is. But I just have to stay on this path. So as cheesy as that sounds and as cringy <laughs> as you can be sometimes, like that is the honest truth. That was the first voice that I was like, yeah, I need to stick with what I'm doing. Mm. Um, I don't know if you can relate, but... Um... Did you have to ever like break the news to your parents and your parents were like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> because I like just like fast track through school and like I was doing really well. And when I pivoted to another field, I was still doing like pretty well. Like I think I've just been such an independent person and I've been able to, I think when you're like kind of like, I don't want to call myself like a nerd, but like when you do the right, when you do the right thing, people will often give you a lot of grace. So yeah. if you're like that person who like no one sees as being like this like rebel or like kind of like rebelling just for the sake of rebelling, if you are someone who tends to do the right thing and mm. people see you doing something that they don't understand quite yet, in their mind, they'll still give you enough grace to say, okay, this is a person that does the right thing. So this is very likely the right thing for them in one way or another, even if I don't completely get it, even if I can't completely like help them through this process. I don't understand it as much as I would understand academia or a cushy job in the private sector. Like I don't know where she's going or what she's doing. And I think for a large part of it, I didn't even know what I was doing. So I had to at least give, like extend that grace to them as well. It kind of goes both ways. So I had to go through this process of understanding what it was I was doing. So if they were in the process of trying to understand it too, I couldn't be mad at them because I didn't know what the end goal was I didn't know what the finish line was I just mm. knew what I was doing at the time wasn't quite right and wasn't quite where I knew the gifts that I had the skill sets I had were going to lead me I knew there was more so I think again when you're like kind of like 
a bit of like a nerd or a person who does the right thing, often people will just like give you a bit of grace. So I, I will say I had a lot of grace and I'm an independent person. So people are just like, ah, she'll be okay. <laughs> I wish I had your parents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no matter yeah, how much. Yeah, it can be tough. And I... <laughs> like, no matter how much of a nerd I am, it's never enough. <laughs> <laughs> and I know like a lot of that comes out of fear for a lot of parents like they're just scared for you they want you to live a comfortable life they want you to be okay so for me like I understand that but I also realize that you can't live in that place of fear especially if that's someone else's fear like that will just completely stop you in your tracks from doing something that could take you to a level that would make them proud and make them happy for you so if you limit yourself and you live in that space of fear you're just going to be upset because you didn't do what you were supposed to do and they're going to be I guess it's okay because at least you're comfortable but I think it's just like you can't live in that fear and it's yeah. tough it's easier said than done obviously but they just want you to be like comfortable and safe and okay so. <laughs> yeah I, I, I totally know where they come from they're like like they came here so that we can have the best life but and because you're their child, they want the best for you. And they see this as like, you know, if you went the safe way, that would be like, you know, the safest way to go. But at the same time, you have like all these dreams and ambitions. And you're like, if I went the safe way, I can't, I can't fulfill those dreams and ambitions. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, I don't know, I guess a lot of people like now in hindsight, as I think about it, a lot of people around me growing up were actually sort of entrepreneurs before being an entrepreneur was like a thing or cool like now that I think about it this sounds strange I haven't even really I didn't even really reflect on it but like now that I really really think about it like yeah a ton of people around me were entrepreneurial to begin with or they do a job that is really a one in a million kind of job which is really like a long shot but they're successful at it so I wonder if that kind of played a role like mm. For example, my brother is a professional basketball player. And if growing up, you told someone you wanted to be a professional basketball player, they would think you're like crazy. It's a one in a million thing. But we supported him in that, everyone in my family. And he's doing that very, very successfully. And he like lives an incredible life, travels the world, does all sorts of things. Like even both of my parents, like my dad um, kind of worked initially like very early on when I was young and like they wouldn't use this language but it would be what would be considered as a startup in telecommunications so mm -hmm. he worked for essentially a startup and then um later on they did a deal with uh TELUS which is I don't know where your viewers are watching from but TELUS is like a large telecommunications company here in Canada and mm -hmm. so then he ended up working for TELUS and a pretty good cushy job but he started out working in what would be considered a startup even though he like no one back then would call it that my yeah. mom also was now that this is like crazy I've actually never reflected on this but my mom actually was kind of like a businesswoman entrepreneur like she had a few different businesses like growing up she owned like a staffing agency which she started from scratch pretty much she owned like a beauty supply company as well her main business and the business that they continue in today that's like our family business is like a beauty supply company and they had like a few different locations and I never thought about that as a child I used to like visit the stores and the kiosks and I was like I always just thought of I don't know I thought of them like I thought as of my mom and my sister and everyone who worked in the business almost like as employees of the business but now that I'm reflecting on it they were actually like 
entrepreneurs and pretty on it too. So I wonder if that's why, like when I broke out of academia, they were like, oh, thank God. Because <laughs> I was doing something that was more akin to the sort of like things that they do. Like, mm. I don't know. That's weird. I'm just like having a revelation. I don't know if I'm putting the words together properly, but like now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah. You actually grew yeah. up in an entre- entrepreneurial environment, like honed your I never skill thought set. of that. <laughs> but I don't I think-, think any, so maybe I was the outlier trying to work in academia all along. <laughs> I was like the, the outlier now that I'm an entrepreneur too. But like, I think maybe I wasn't able to put that together until now, because I think back then people didn't really talk about entrepreneurship. They talked about mm-hmm. like working for a business or building a business or starting a business, like entrepreneurship and startups. And like, I don't know, like I'd never describe any of the businesses that my family built or worked in as startups. I don't know if that's just me. I don't know if it's like a new thing, but yeah. I'm so glad that you had this revelation here. I'm like, wait, was everyone around me actually an entrepreneur? Yes, they were. (laughs) That's crazy. Oh my gosh. That's interesting. Because if we go with like the the tax definition of things, they were all entrepreneurs. Yeah, that is crazy. (laughs) That was just like a revelation. Boom. <laughs> I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. I tried to be this academic and I hated it. They were probably like watching me like, why is she doing this? She's going to find out eventually that this is stupid. Because everyone growing up had so much flexibility in their life and careers and such great work-life balance. And like, I felt like also when I was working in academia, I was such a like punch in, punch out. I wasn't that invested or passionate about anything I was doing. And everyone else in my family was able to like just go on vacation whenever, do whatever, whatever. And like, I was working like such a different, it was such a different lifestyle. And I think like, obviously you want to let your child explore and do the things they do. And it sounds funny that my exploration and rebellion was like doing a PhD, but like, yeah. So rebellious. But I think maybe I was always just meant to be an entrepreneur and I'm an entrepreneurial thinker and just, I like living a certain lifestyle and I like being able to, be creative in my work and I like being able to take a lot of ownership over my work so I'm not Mm -hmm. really a punch in punch out person by nature but there's nothing wrong with that I'm just I yeah I have to create things I have to see things in the world I have to have a certain like bit of control around my career and I have to have a certain bit of stake in the upside if I do really well like I want to see it I want to see it like (laughs) if I do really if I do really well in academia like it doesn't work out the same way or if you do really well in a job that you're just punching in and out, it doesn't work out the same way. So yeah. Yeah. You you want you want to see the tangible effects to it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Um I guess like uh we had such a, so many great questions, but the 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 one thing I wanted to say, uh, ask was like now that you're at your early thirties, what is what are you most looking forward to for the rest of your 30s? Especially since like you've, you figured out like where your, your yeah. niche and your focus is like, what do you think you are looking forward to for the rest of your 30s? So I'm like learning every day about so many things as I evolve within that niche. So on a personal level, I like just the opportunity to learn and grow and change and be creative and use my mind in different ways and not feel like I'm just kind of on autopilot. And I feel like that is what really, keeps me 
like as a person very energized mm-hmm. knowing that I'm going to be able to do something fun and different I mean every day is not fun obviously there are some days where I'm just like oh my gosh I'm so tired but like even in that tiredness like I know that I'm moving the needle on something that I'm building for myself that is long term it's not just for today it's not just for tomorrow I can't just be like fired and then it's over for me like I am building my own thing long term and I am building a thing that creates opportunities for other people and a thing that creates assets for communities so I'm just I don't know I just have more communities more churches more projects more so much more to look forward to and I'm just so excited about how it evolves over time mm-hmm. Ooh, there was one question that I was like I really need to ask you because I feel like I can only ask you this it's like <laughs> I really like that you're so like positive and bubbly all the time so like I always was wondering like were you always this bubbly and positive or was this some like muscle that you trained over time and like how did you do this Honestly, I was not always like this. I was actually very, very quiet growing up as a child. Like in school, I was like super, super quiet. And in like my previous lives, like in academia, I was very to myself, very quiet. On hindsight, like I don't want to like diagnose myself or anything <laughs> like that, but I almost feel like I was like depressed when I was like working in academia. Like I felt like I wasn't being my full self. And I don't want to like just like throw around the term depression. So like, I, like I know depression is like a very serious thing. So like, I don't mm. want to like, but I think I was like going through something. Like I felt like I wasn't being my full self. I felt like I couldn't bring my full self to the table. I felt like certain aspects of who I was, my personality, my way of being weren't valued in that setting. Mm. So when mm-hmm. you feel like you're in a space when you're not, where you're not valued, I don't want to say why you even try. Cause that sounds very like, <laughs> but like, I just, <laughs> well, you know, like you've probably been yeah. in situations where you know that like people won't even like, why give people your, the full you if they're not, if they're just going to misunderstand it or it's not going to like, you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, I think yeah. that's kind of like how I felt in academia and I, why I wasn't able to be as like, like this is who I am. This is my natural personality, my natural way of being. But if you saw me when I was working in academia, I was like, very quiet, very to myself. A lot of my colleagues were a lot older than me when I started. It just didn't feel good. Like I was in this race to get to this place and then I got to it and I went and it, I, like I felt terrible while I was there. Like it didn't, like nothing felt good. I could publish in the best journal in my field and I did and it didn't feel good. I could teach the class that everyone wanted to or get the teaching position that everyone wanted to get, didn't feel good. I could have the supervisor everyone wanted to work with wasn't a great supervisor for me. (laughs) So it was just like all these things. And I think when I was in that space, I think I was slowly building that muscle as I took on more and more projects that actually matched who I am and like Mm. aligned with how I see myself and my actual natural personality and way of being. So I think it was building that muscle and trusting myself enough to trust those things I, that I knew were just aligned with who I was and what I wanted to do. Even if people, even if it wasn't like the popular thing or people didn't get what it was at the time, like I will say I was very, very different, like growing up and in high school and I was very, very different in my early career life even when I worked with like in the private sector with developers like I think I was also kind of that way like 
I would do the work and I would do it really well, but it wasn't any place where I'd bring my full self into the work yeah. environment. And I think because I also wasn't bringing my full self into the work environment, like it's not something that's sustainable long-term. Like when I see what, like what I'm going to do for 10 years, 20 years from now, like I couldn't, there's no way that I could have continued to do that. And I think when you get those small glimpses of what it is to be able to be your own natural self in the work environment and to be able to bring everything you are to the table, all of your gifts to the table, like it becomes almost like addictive. Like I had, mm-hmm. I have to, I am the sort of person that even if I end up working for another organization, like who knows what will happen in the future, yeah. I always have to be entrepreneurial within my role. And now I always have to work for organizations that have that little bit of alignment. And luckily mm-hmm. I'm at the point in my career where I don't have to work with people I don't like. <laughs> I don't have to work with organizations I don't like. I don't have to say yes to projects that don't align with who I am or what I do because I'm not just like taking on any project just because I need to. Like I yeah. actually am able to, and I know that's not the case for everyone. I know when you're starting out, you have to at least be able to get enough to sustain yourself. But luckily I am in that position now. And I do think I recognize that like, I was almost like a different person in those other lives and even to this day there are certain organizations that like I'm not going to name them by name obviously but there are a lot of like churches and other organizations that do purpose-driven work and have large property holdings or trying to build out like communities or leverage other assets in creative ways that bring about social good and local impact that approach me to work with them and I can just like I have it down to a science like I know the the way of being in the organizational culture that just doesn't buy well with me and I've had to say no to a lot of groups I actually say no quite a lot these days and I I I mean I say it in a nice way like I say your project's like obviously very interesting very important but I I mean I take on like very few clients each year I go very deep with the organizations that I work with I am a purpose-driven organization and all the people that I work with and the team that I built out, like they have purpose-driven commitments. So that means that fit is very important and not everything's going to be a good fit. And if it's not a good fit, that doesn't mean that the project you're doing is not important. It just means that it's, it's just not gonna, <laughs> I won't be the one to do it and I won't be the one to help coordinate the teams around doing it. Like mm-hmm. that's just what it is because I have been in that place of not feeling myself in the workplace And when you run your own show and do your own thing, the one incredible thing you get to do is you get to completely be yourself. Your bubbly self, your silly stuff, yourself, you cry sometimes yourself, you, like, I am completely myself in my work. I bring everything I am to the table. I am someone who is, like, a little bit more, like, traditionally, like, I have a little bit more of, like, a feminine like personality and the ways of being and the ways that I am and a lot of the workplaces that I was in didn't really value those qualities about me and you felt like you had to be like one of the guys and that just Mm. like that's not me so I could be my full feminine black bubbly funny silly self and that just brings me so much happiness and that that is not always something that everyone gets to have and be. And I don't know if you've been in work environments where you felt like you have to like, not that you have to change yourself completely, but you can't fully, fully be yourself. Yeah. There's like a culture around 
the workplace where it's almost like everyone is not being themselves. And I don't think being yourself means you have to be like, you can do whatever you want in a professional environment because that's not right. Like even in the work that I do, there's a certain way that we interact with clients. There's just like a certain way of being. There's a certain culture to the work that I do. I work with a lot of old institutions. So there's there's just like a certain way we do things. But also on the same, on the other hand, I will not work with an organization that doesn't like get me who I am, what I bring to the table and value me and allow me to just be myself. So I don't know if you've seen that culture at all in other institutions where you're like, this is not aligning with who I am. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's, that's what happened at uh, the big consulting firm I worked at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's not even saying the culture is bad, but it's like that culture doesn't work for everyone. It works for particular types of people. Not everyone is that particular type of person. So mm-hmm. to like be your best self and do your best work, it's yeah. so important to find that cultural fit because a bad culture will just like kill you. It will kill who yeah. you are. It will kill your gifts. It will just like, it will kill you. And even people who have wanted to work with me on various projects, like not as a client, but like as a contractor, like I step Mm -hmm. out a lot of my work because I like to keep things small and lean and I take on people when I need to take on people. Mm -hmm. Um, I've even had people approach me who do incredible work, but I just know they wouldn't be a cultural fit. They're like, they are... I don't want to describe anyone in a way that they might be able to figure out I'm talking about them, but like they are just like a different sort of person that doesn't like, I'm very agile and flexible and responsive. And I like to have a bit of fun in the work I do. I like to like, and if you're not that way, you're going to feel uncomfortable in like working with me or in doing like projects together. Like you have to, if you're someone who's like super rigid, like it's not good because there's not always a, there's not always like a completely set out plan before we start things. Sometimes we do yeah. have to go through a process of, well, you know, because we worked on one project together. Like yeah. you don't know, like you kind of have a rough I'm sense of the seat of your pants. <laughs> yeah, you have a rough sense of like the question, what the question is and you know who all the stakeholders are, but all the stakeholders are like throwing all this information at you and you're trying to like work with them to refine that and like restrain them. Yeah. And you're also trying to like do the work that you came here to do. And it's like, So it's not a completely perfect work environment where you just punch in, sit in your office, do the work and punch out. You're like working with so many people and you're trying to balance their personalities and figure out like, what do you actually want? What is the question we're addressing? What is the issue we're addressing? And how can we do this for you in a way that's effective and impactful? So there's a lot of flexibility that's needed in that. So for me, I try to create a culture where that is, I mean, something that's valued it's been harder to do that in like a remote workplace now but like (laughs) this is where we are so yeah Yeah. I will say just like to answer your question yeah (laughs) my personality has changed or I am more myself I should say now yeah I I totally know what you mean like um when you're in a toxic environment that's kind of like sucking you dry and like you have to be like showing up in a certain way that's not you it just like Mm. sucks you even more dry and you're like you can't be yourself you're like why are you even here (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's so true and I think we don't realize that sometimes as toxic sometimes depending on your personality and I don't know if this is your personality too but we can see that as instead of seeing it as toxic, we will internalize that and see that as like our own shortcoming, or maybe we need to rise to the occasion in a different way. And it takes us a while to realize, no, 
it's not me. It's them. Yeah. They are the issue here. It's not yeah. me. It's them. And I yeah. think, again, depending on your personality, if you are someone who like is used to being able to perform in a certain way, you will trick mm-hmm. yourself into thinking, well, I can just perform in the way that they need me to because I'm able to excel in that way. But again, I'm playing the wrong game. Like I said, with academia, I could, I could win the game, but I'm just, I was playing the wrong game. Yeah, I was like, I know how to win this game, but I don't feel like playing this. <laughs> yeah. It's I don't so need true. to. I, I can just Yeah, win. exactly. <laughs> he says I have so, to stay so for this true. paycheck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Totally but I think in this new day and age, there are so many ways to like make a living with all these digital tools that we have access to nowadays and less gatekeepers. So like mm-hmm. I don't know, like you can make a living in a million and one different ways. Obviously it takes patience and it takes time, but I feel like nowadays we have a lot of privilege around not having to be locked into these traditional jobs that just don't feel great. Whereas Mm -hmm. like in previous decades, perhaps even our parents, like they just had to like do things that, well, I guess now I found out that my parents and everyone (laughs) around me was an entrepreneur, but a lot of people have to do things that don't feel great and that they're not able to bring their full sales to the table because they didn't have like Shopify to just like build a retail store tomorrow. They would have to like get a lease and like pay for expensive newspaper ads to find clients or customers. And like, it's a different day and age. You can like put five bucks on a Facebook ad set and then you can like open a Shopify store and you're in business. Yeah, so like it's just you can a easily get email. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like to start up a business is not that hard. It's just you have to exactly. find what your thing is. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. So I would say if you feel locked into a job right now, I'm not a big proponent of like, just quit. You'll be fine. Like I know things cost money. People have rent, all sorts of things. But I would say slowly start building your own thing on the side. And when you're in a good position and you feel okay and you feel comfortable, like then consider maybe putting a little bit more time into the side thing and making that your main thing. But Mm -hmm. like times are hard, especially in these COVID times. So I'd never just be like, yeah, who needs that job? Just quit. So, (laughs) but I think it's something important to think about. (laughs) I feel like I'm going to say something. But like, no, I was like, I'm not going to tell my story. Like, I, I totally agree with what you're, like, your, your version yeah. is definitely the risk adverse, adverse version and the safe version of, you know, doing yeah. it over time. But I think, I don't know, like, a pers- personally, I was just like, I don't have enough time to do it outside. And it's eating away for, mm-hmm. like, the toxicness was eating away too much. And I had enough savings because mm-hmm. I knew I was going to do this anyways. So, like, I had enough yeah. savings to just, like, go, like, I'm going to, like, throw all my shifts to the sea, burn them all, and, like, I'm just going to go fully on this thing now. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that, like, you have to know your own situation and you have to know what you're able to do and the risk that you can take on. But, like... I think that like, if you can go that way, that's actually the ideal way to go. So you can really just like go all in on it. So you know if it's going to like be something that works or not early on because you're not slowly building it, you're building it right away. So if you know it's something that's gonna fail or isn't the path, you can know that like very quickly and then you can pivot in a different way and do the same thing, but do it in a way that works a little bit better. So like you have that ability to put enough hours into it to like, figure out how to do it right early Mm -hmm. on. And I think that's so, so important. 
Yeah. Well, I think both ways work. It's just like more of like, you have to know yourself to know which one is the right way for you. Yeah. So true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just want to play one last game with you. Let's do it. Okay. If we, if we had this live, this would be so much more fun, but um, pick one of these. I will pick the fourth one from the left. So basically for the podcast, because they can't see what we're doing, I, I'm just picking up a ton of questions and then we're going to ask you one of these deep questions. Ready? <laughs> I'm ready. So I'm the, deep, the deep question is, what is your most, okay, my, my handwriting is horrible, but what is your most terrible memory? My most terrible memory. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um... <laughs> honestly like I would say like and I don't want to be like so work-centered because I know work isn't everything but it's a big part of where we spend our time and I think Mm -hmm. my most terrible memory or memories are tied to working in toxic workplaces and just not feeling myself not feeling good knowing something isn't quite right but also being in a position where like I didn't have the context or the resources to like understand that wasn't good for me I Mm -hmm. could just feel it and I just knew it wasn't right and I think that time in my life when I was in a place where just like something is not working something needs to change like this is not it for me this does not feel right everyone is telling me like this is where you should want to be this is great and I'm like enduring it every day and I'm like this is horrible these people are horrible I hate this place like I think for me like a lot of my worst like memories or like terrible memories are like tied to that and maybe not maybe that doesn't resonate with everyone like maybe Mm -hmm. there are people who are fortunate not to have to like be in a toxic work environment but if you ever have been in a toxic work environment you know what I am talking about and you know how terrible it can actually be although it is a place that you get to punch out of at the end of the day you spend so many hours of your life at work. Like yeah. you can't, like it's just, it can get very, very bad and it can get very terrible for lack of a better term. And I think for me that, that like is something that I can always look back on as like, whoa, that was awful. <laughs> and I, I'm glad I'm in another place, but like I have those moments where I'm like, holy, like I can't believe I actually kept going back to that place and and there are times also where I reflect now and I realize like (laughs) I don't want to speak ill of anyone but I realize too sometimes when I'm in certain work when I was in certain work environments and I was a little younger so I didn't have like the I don't want to say self-esteem but I didn't have the self-assuredness to feel this way like I realized like those people are kind of dumb like they were (laughs) actually like just kind of dumb (laughs) like I don't like I always thought they like knew what they were doing and like just I just gotta go with it and this is how things are but like when I look back on it and now that I've kind of built out my own thing I'm like those people were kind of dumb and they were kind of horrible so, you would never hire those that's like, <laughs> no and it's crazy because some of them were like very well known and the field and like do big projects and but I saw the way that they were like we talked about with mentorship, some people are just like ushered through the front door and pushed along and like, they just don't have the grit about them. They don't have the like 
get up and go to them. They don't have the, like there's, there are so many failings and the toxic cultures. I think that also taught me very early on that if I ever do my own thing, that is exactly who I don't want to be. That is the work environment that I don't want to create. When I bring people on to work with me, either as contractors or permanent staff or like whatever that looks like, yeah. I don't want to create that experience for them. And I think that's also why early on I take the time to identify and let people know that like it might not be a good fit for them because I don't want anyone to have to go through that experience. Like I'm very, very strict when it comes to that. Like I'm a kind of fun, easygoing person, but I think that is one person, one thing that I take very seriously. I don't want to be that person who creates that toxic culture for people. I don't yeah. want to be that leader or boss who's just like awful for the sake of being awful. Like I just, mm. I, I just think it's so, I mean, I don't know if times are changing and like having a good work culture is like more important these days or like, I don't know if it's just like from organization to organization, but I know for me, for whatever reason, I don't know where it came from. Maybe it's just my personal experiences. I know like I, I want to do good work and I want to treat people well. That will be like your legacy or the thing you know, you're know known for, not just doing good work, but treating people well. So that's just like so important in any project I do. Yeah, it was a terrible memory, but it still had some good learnings to it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> There's always a positive side to everything. The positive being that yeah. like you learn what is like the proper leadership and culture that you would want. The the toxic part of it, it's like it doesn't even just stay within the, the when you clock in and clock out. That's the worst part. It like yeah permeates for the rest of your life. It's so true. Oh, yeah. I'm so happy I'm out of that. It sounds like a flashback. Like, oh, those people are so dumb. We're all out of it now. Now we're just trying to get yeah. everyone else to leave that that toxic yeah. environment. No, seriously, find happiness, whatever that looks like for you. If you're in a toxic situation, find happiness. Yeah. Whether you're in your early 20s or your 30s or whatever it is, like find that niche and find that thing that you can bring the like highest, truest version of yourself to, because that's what the world needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the golden handcuffs, they might be there, but you can always solve them. Exactly, it's true. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, thank you for being part of my podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me as your very first guest. I am honored. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, and for our viewers, where can they find you? You can find um, everything at coffeehour.ca. That's going to be like my central hub of all my projects so coffeehour.ca is where I do like a lot of my coaching for people who like are doing purpose-driven ventures and want to figure out how to combine profit and also combining doing public good and social good so if you're someone who it doesn't just have to be if you're working with churches or if you're a faith leader or if you lead a nonprofit, even if you work in the public sector you're building your own thing if you want to combine profit and purpose, a lot of the stuff that I do is all housed at coffeehour.ca. So I'm building that out as my central hub. So definitely head on over there and find me there. Yeah, and I'm going to drop her links down in the bio notes and the YouTube notes. But uh, we'll also drop your Instagram so people can see all the great things that you're doing on social media. But thank you definitely. for coming on to my podcast. <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs>